Well, good morning, Genesis. Good morning. I am uh, honestly so grateful to be here today. I want to say a huge, huge thank you to each and every one of you. You have partnered with us, Restoration Road, from day one. You have been so generous to us, um, and we're better because of it, and we've been able to do the work that God has called us to do in Wingsfield because of it. So this is the fourth year that I have the privilege of preaching with you uh, and to you, and so I just want to say a big thank you. Um, Michael Davis is a dear friend of mine. He's someone I admire, someone I look up to, someone I imitate, someone I learn from, and I really call him a friend, and our friendships grow, and I'm truly grateful for that. You guys are blessed with a wonderful pastor, and other pastors too. Um, God's been good to you here at Genesis, and we're reaping the benefits, so just thank you. Today we're going to learn about what it means to be a happy person. And we're going to learn from Psalm 1. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1, if you have one. If not, you can look up at the screen. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and everything he does, it prospers. The wicked are not so. They like the chaff that the wind blows away. The wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the ways of the wicked will perish. That's what we're going to be shaped by today, that text. The word of God there, we're going to meditate on that. We're going to learn from that today. And we're going to focus on what it means to be a happy person. There's two illustrations we get there, two pictures. The picture of the righteous, they're like a tree. I love trees. I hope you like trees too. Trees are a wonderful creation of God. They bear fruit. They give you shade in a hot summer. It's cooling off now, the fall's settling in, but... You know, when, uh, I'm sorry to say that, some of you just took a deep breath, I'm sorry. We got a little more time, I think it's September 21st, but you guys smell the fall in the air. When you're a kid, you play in trees, and um, it's just wonderful. Trees are good for so many things, they're immovable. Trees don't move. Now, the wicked are like chaff, this text tells us. And I'm sure many of us, maybe some of you are farmers. I'm not sure if there's a high percentage of farmers in here or you harvested anything lately. I haven't. So maybe the best way to explain chaff to a Bostonian, someone who lives in Boston, is when you make that corn on the cob on the grill and you take that stuff off the outside and it makes your yard messy and the table messy and it blows all over the place and you got to get it in the trash. It's moving everywhere when the wind blows. That's what the wicked are like. They're like the chaff. They're moved by every emotion. They're moved by every desire and impulse. The trials come. They move. But the righteous are not so. The righteous are planted in the streams of the gospel and are happy because they're able, by the grace of God, to face all the challenges, the trials, the ups and downs, when the sun shines, when it rains, in the valley, in the mountaintop. Trees of righteousness are able to be happy because they're planted in Christ. Amen? 
And that's what I want for you today. I want you to be like a tree planted in the streams of the gospel that is happy even when things are moving and shaking all around you because that's what Christ wants for your life. He wants you to be a tree that not only is immovable for your own life, that's, but other people can come and find shade under you. You can be a refuge because your refuge is in Christ. And people can look at your life and you're so connected to Jesus that it shows off the glory of your Father. I want you to have the fragrance. I want all of us in all our churches, specifically the Genesis family today, to show off the fragrance of Christ by the way we're planted in Christ. You know, when it, the spring first hit, I was going into a sporting goods store and... Um, there were three trees there that I hadn't seen in a while. I couldn't tell you the name of them, but they had pink blossoms on them, and they kicked off this fragrance, and it brought me back to my childhood and good memories. Have you ever had that happen? You're around a tree, and it blossoms like, wow, this brings me back to a time of happiness and joy. I pray that our lives, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, by the way we love, the way we're gentle, the way we're faithful, the way we care for others and love our neighbor, that it shows up the fragrance of Christ and points people to Jesus and brings comfort to them. Amen? That's really my prayer for us today, that we're trees of righteousness, happy in God. We're going to focus on three things, three things today. What does it mean to be a happy person? Why is it important to delight in the law of the Lord? And how do we grow in happiness? So let's begin here. What does it mean to be a happy person? That's funny that I read that psalm. We're meditating on that psalm, and I'm talking about being happy. I don't know if that's the first thing you thought of. Why is that the title of the message? It's because of that word blessed. It says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That word blessed in the original language means happy. Happy is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And that word for man means person. That's why I'm using it in the original language. So what I want you guys to hear first is happy is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, when God's given us instructions for things like walking in God's favor, walking in happiness, you'll notice that the Bible always says, gives you stuff not to do. <laughs> like, listen, you want to be happy? Don't do this. And it starts with this. Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. This is so important for walking in the joy of the Lord and the happiness of God because this is a happy gospel. We serve a happy God. To not walk in the counsel of the wicked. To get our advice from godly men and women who have a godly track record. There's going to be a lot of people who are giving you advice in your life. And it's not all good. You've probably figured that out by now, right? It is so important for the happy person to be honed in on godly men and women. And these are things you want to look for. They have healthy relationships. Healthy relationships. You can tell a fruit of a person's life by if they have healthy relationships that have lasted with his love, with his forgiveness, with there's the grace of God, where their family is flourishing where people follow them because they see them leading a godly life. These are the people you want to get counsel from. You want to turn your ear 
away from those who are counseling you against the things that Jesus has taught for the good of your life. Because there's many, many voices out there. And if you want wisdom, if you want happiness, heed the voice of godly men and women. God, because he loves us, our Father loves us, he will sovereignly put people in your life that he wants you to connect to, to get wisdom from, to walk in their counsel and stay away from the counsel of the wicked. I just feel led to say to some of the young men today, I didn't say this last service, so I want you to know I didn't feel led every sermon. Some of you young guys, this is an important part of your life where you need to heed the counsel of godly men and women and walk in the ways of God. This is pivotal for your life. And I won't expound on that because they only give me 30 minutes and there's a timer back there. But I just feel that God wanted me to say that. There's a pivotal point of some of you young men's life. And please hear that today. So we walk in the counsel of the godly. Second, we don't stand with sinners. We don't stand in the way of sinners. To stand is to be fixed in the position. I stand here. I believe this. I stand we as the people of God, according to the truth of God. Now, the person who wants to be happy can't stand in the way of sinners. We can't fix ourselves in the position of people who walk in habitual sin, disobeying God. And even celebrating walking in habitual sin. We can't stand with those who stand against the love and law and word of God. You will not be a happy person. You'll be a happy person when you stand in the place of righteousness on the word of God, even when it's to your own harm. It says the pure of heart do good even to their own harm. Even when it's going to hurt. Even when it's going to hurt the reputation. Even if it might cause you to lose friends for a time. See, we don't stand in the way of sinners if you want to walk as a happy person in the power of Christ. And thirdly, the kind of do not there is, do not sit in the seat of scoffers. Have you ever been made fun of for your faith? If you are, be happy about it. Welcome it. It's telling you that you're giving off the fragrance of Christ. The fragrance of Christ to some people is life to the other's death. To other's death. See, our Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. What is that? Happy are the persecuted, for they are the children of God. When you stand in righteousness, you will be scoffed at. And you should be happy for that. Because what greater place to stand and what greater Savior to be scoffed at about than our Jesus, our, Jesus, our Savior. Amen? That is so, per so important. For happiness to realize that we are identifying with the sufferings of Jesus Jesus was scoffed he was mocked he was spit at he was falsely accused it shows character when you can handle those things and not do a rant on Facebook right now don't be persecuted and rant for three days that don't give off that gives off the wrong fragrance you understand me but when we're able to be scoffed and say I'm walking in the footsteps of Christ even though those people sit in the seat of scoffers, I'm happy because I ident identifying with Jesus. And some of those scoffers, Jesus will change their heart, amen? 
I know many a friend who made fun of me and they're sitting in the pews now and I baptized them. Because Jesus gets a hold of who he wants to get a hold of and he captures the hearts of who he wants to capture their hearts. And they're watching us to see if we're willing to be scoffed at because we believe with deep conviction that Jesus died and rose again and is the son of God. So let's get to a working definition of what it means to be a happy person. A happy person is someone who delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night and lives in accordance with it by the strength of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. A happy person is someone who delights in the law of the Lord, meditates on it day and night, and lives in accordance with it by the strength of the Holy Spirit. That's a happy person. Now, why is it important to delight in the law of the Lord? How many people love the law? You beat the last group by one. One person loved the law in the last group. We got two and a half here. I want to ask you, if you don't love the law, why don't you love the law? Is it because it inconveniences you? Is it because it limits you? Is it because it maybe causes you to be disciplined? It's important to love the Lord, the, the Lord of course, and the law because of what it protects and the reason it was implemented. Let me give you an example with, the, with civil law. I took up hunting this year. And it, for those who don't like hunting, I will comfort you with this. I have not seen anything and I have not shot anything. I just sat in the woods with a bow and arrow wearing orange. You understand me? So taking up hunting means I've sat in the woods for a long time. So I get up early, I go in the woods, I'd sit there with my buddy, he leased a, a piece of land in Gloucester with my bow and arrow. It got so bad at one point I almost shot the decoy, I was just getting sick of it, you understand me? <laughs> and so, but every morning I wake up, I was turkey hunting. Every morning I wake up and there was a turkey in my backyard. Just struck. And I'm saying, this ain't right, I'm driving to Gloucester from Wakefield and there's a turkey strutting in my backyard. I said, can I shoot this thing? <laughs> so I went down to town hall. I walk up and I say, listen, can I shoot a turkey in my backyard? I was going to shoot, guys, so you think I'm a better person than I am. I was going to go back. There's woods back there. I was going to go back there and shoot them, so that doesn't look good, taking all the turkey in your yard. But I said, I can't find one, and there's one right there. Behind me is a town administrator, Steve Mayo. And he goes, Joey, you can't hunt in Wakefield. He said, but I'm not fully sure because the, the secretary didn't know, the town administrator didn't know. He said, go down to the police station. So I go down to the police station. The police don't know. I'm like, can I hunt here? They're like, we have no idea. I'm like, and I'm thinking, listen, I can't. The last thing, it's not good for a church plant trying to grow a church being arrested for illegally hunting a turkey in Wakefield. That's the last thing I need on the Wakefield daily item. And so finally, they're calling people. They find this note from seven years ago that hunting is outlawed because some hunter shot an arrow into someone's house seven years ago. And they said, enough of that. The reason I bring up this story is this. When that guy was hunting that turkey or whatever he was hunting, he didn't realize why the law was in place. In his mind, maybe, the law was in place to mess up his hunting. He was like, they're not messing up me getting this turkey. I'm going to shoot close to the house because you're not supposed to shoot within 100 feet or 100 yards of any house. And he said, forget the law. 
I see a turkey. This is about me. Wasn't a good shot. Hits the house. Now, the law is in place so you're not doing your dishes and you get an arrow in your shoulder. Right? I love that law because I don't want to be mowing my yard, my lawn, and be thinking if I got to worry about a bullet going by me or an arrow going by me. It's in place to protect me so I don't go to jail for three years for shooting someone in the shoulder with an arrow. So my family doesn't get shot with something. It protects me, my family, my neighbor, my community. If you break that off, it protects the whole world. I love that law because of the protection it gives. And I use that analogy in that story so we remember, David said, I love, I delight in the law of the Lord. He loved it. And I want us to learn to love the law of God because how it protects us, how it fills us, how it gives us life, how it causes us to be fruitful for generations and really into eternity. David, as a young boy, would have learned the Shema. The Shema was something that the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, taught the children to pray every night. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He would have had all the Ten Commandments at least memorized. So when he heard God reveal that he was a jealous God and you should have no other gods before me, he loved that law because he didn't want the glory and the worth and the worship of God being shared with any other false god because his God was the most worthy. That's why he loved because of the heart of the law. When it said, don't make any graven images, he loved that law. Because he said, why should this God of infinite worth share his worship with stone, with images? You never worship the creator, created rather than the creator. You never do that. So David loved that law. When it said, don't take the Lord's name in vain. David loved that law because he doesn't want people callously or lightly using the name of the God he loves the most in a blasphemous, a vain way. Because that name is of the most worth and value. When he heard, keep the Sabbath day holy, he said, I love that law. I don't have to work seven days. He didn't say, they're messing up my work schedule. He says, I love that the people of God take off a day to remember what God has done for us, to break bread, to give thanks, to honor the covenant, to love our God. See, he loved the law because he knew what was attached to it. Honoring his father and mother, he wanted to live a long life. All those things. Then when it got to neighbor, he loved that you shouldn't steal because he knew in stealing, he would hurt his neighbor and grieve his God. See, to love God is to love our neighbor. They're perfectly entwined so he wouldn't he loved that you didn't covet other people's possessions because if you did covet you knew you were spilling your heart out of the gratitude of what God has given each of us amen all those things are in place and we go on and on and on to protect us to protect our families to protect our neighbors to protect our community and so we have a right vision of the glorious God we worship. See, God's person and God's word are so closely connected that to love God's word is to love God's person, and to love God's person is to love God's word. So you could say in a way, to love the law of the Lord is to love God himself. That's why we delight in it. 
That's where we delight in the law of God. Now, some of you, let me just give an example. Some of the things we all may struggle with, like Jesus teaches us to forgive, right? That's a commandment of God, to forgive. That's tough sometimes. To forgive that person who has intentionally hurt us. And maybe we hold on to the bitterness and it begins to change our personality and, and steal happiness from us. When God gives us that teaching commandment so we do forgive. And when we freely forgive, when we love that teaching of Christ's forgiveness, it's so connected to God's person. We're loving Christ himself. That's why we delight in the law of the Lord. And we will learn to delight in the law of the Lord. We will be happier people to the glory of God and for the good of others. So I want to give us just a couple ways to grow in happiness in our lives. We all want to be happy, right? It's tough. Life is hard. Life is hard. And when Jesus called us to follow him, he didn't say it wouldn't be hard. He actually said it might even be harder. And I'm paraphrasing here. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. If anyone wants to live, he'll die. And, and so we see Jesus giving us right expectations, but he promises joy and happiness through it because so many things are going to shake in our lives that are out of our control. But we, come, we become immovable like that tree of righteousness planted in Jesus. We become immovable when we're planted on the word of God because that never changes the same today and forevermore. So the circumstances will change, but someone planted in the word of God, that will never change. And I just, if you feel like giving up today, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up on Christ's church. Don't give up on your faith. Don't give up on yourself. Some of you feel so bad. Know that your identity is in Christ and Christ loves you so much. I just want to say that to encourage you today. But the first thing I want us to think about how to grow in happiness is Christian meditation. You see David in this psalm says, I meditate on the, the law of the Lord day and night. Now I want us to give us what I think is a biblical view of Christian meditation. And I'll give you a little story to help I see the picture. When I was in seventh and eighth grade, we had a special class in physical education where they called us into another room. There were a bunch of mats on the ground. They started playing We Are the Universe music, and someone started walking around the room and talking a little crazy. I was like, I was young, and I'm saying, what's going on here? And this person said, act like water is pouring out of your ear to empty yourself of all your thoughts. And I was like, were there permission slips on this event? I don't want to be here right now. And it just felt like, what is going on? And when, that, when that ended, I said, get me out of here. See, oftentimes our idea of meditation is to empty our mind of the thoughts, the patterns of thinking that harass us and torment us. We think if I can only forget, if I can only empty. And a lot of times, those are good intentions to have. We want to empty ourselves of the thoughts that are tormenting us. Maybe it's our past. Maybe it's our, press, 
uh, present. Maybe it's a broken relationships. Maybe it's feeling an ad. Whatever it is, maybe it's constant fear. We're trying to empty ourselves of these fearful thoughts. See, what Christian meditation teaches us is not to empty our minds. It teaches us to fill our minds. Christian meditation does not teach us to empty our minds. It teaches us to fill our minds. To empty our minds can be an impossible task. But what happens when we fill our minds with the word of God and meditate on it, it overwhelms those harassing thoughts. Amen? For instance, if you have trouble believing you are forgiving and you're walking around with guilt, shame, and condemnation, you're wearing it like a jacket and you feel like you can't shake it. We do not try to empty that thought because that can be fruitless. We overwhelm it with the word of God and we use a scripture and meditate and memorize and recite in our minds which bears on our souls. For him who knew no sin became sin so that I can be the righteousness of God. Because the reality is you are not filthy. The reality is you are not guilty. The reality is we have no reason to live in shame because of the blood of our Savior Jesus. We are the very righteousness of God. That's truth that fills, that overwhelms, that shapes, that will make you a tree of righteousness that is absolutely immovable through any storm of life and even the day. That will make us happy people. See, David meditated on God's word daily. He meditated on God's word multiple times a day. And it was living and active in him. So it engaged all the lies. It engaged all the doubts. It engaged all the letdowns. And it made him a tree of righteousness that showed off the glory of God. I want to give you one final application point here. And hopefully this is helpful. You'll probably come up with your own system because it's so important to have systems to get the word of God for Bible intake. It's, it's very important to have systems. We always fall to our systems. We have great intentions, but we fall to our systems. What I try to do every morning, one of the things is, and this only takes a few minutes because sometimes we're overwhelmed. Like we want to get up and we want to start the day three hours of prayer. I'm going to read the New Testament and start the old, right? What if you took three minutes tomorrow for some of us who are trying to catapult our, our Bible intake? took three minutes and said, I'm going to start in the Psalms and I'm going to start in Psalm 1. And what I do, and you might have your own questions, I wake up and I read a Psalm, takes me a few minutes, and I ask myself these three questions that will shape my prayer to God. Because prayer is a responsive language. We are never initiating the conversation with God. He has already started the conversation. He has already sent his son, and we are responding to his love towards us. Prayer is always a responsive language. And so I would ask myself these three questions. How did this psalm cause me to praise God? How does this psalm cause me to be thankful to, to God? And what do I want to ask God to do in and through me in light of this psalm? So the first thing, how does this psalm cause me to praise God, the one we just read? We are so blessed that our God is a righteous God. And he blesses righteousness. He does not bless evil. He does not reward the wicked. They will pres- uh, perish. He blesses the righteous with everlasting life. He not only blesses us with eternal life, he blesses us with abundant lives now. 
where we have the greatest treasure there is. We have Jesus. We are connected to God himself. I praise God that he's a righteous God, and he will reward us in this life and in the next for any righteous deed we do in him to his glory. Amen? Wow, I start getting a, we start getting a beautiful vision of who God is from his word, and we can respond to that. Secondly, what am I thankful for? I'm so thankful for the Bible, and I'm sure you are too. Where would we be without the word of God? Where would we be without the Bible that lights our path, that tells us that God is love, that declares the best news we could ever hear, the gospel, the good news, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for our sins and rise again, that whoever believes in him will not perish like the wicked, but will have everlasting life and enjoy God forever. The Bible has lit our path, and that causes our prayer to overflow. Thank you, God, that you give me the Bible. I would be walking in total darkness if it wasn't for the light of your word written by your Holy Spirit. And the third question, what should I ask God to do in and through me in light of this psalm? My prayer for all of us is that we pray that God makes us a people who delights in his word. That we come, become so connected to the word of God, so connected to Jesus, that we show off the fruit of the spirit to the glory of God. We give shade and healing to those who are hurting. And many people come to Christ because they see we are planted in the streams of the gospel. Amen. Jesus stood in the place of sinners. He didn't stand in the way of sinners. He, he was pinned to a cross and scoffed for you and me so that we could be set free. We delight in Jesus. We delight in his word. And if we walk in that way, we will be happy people.